0: Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Yeah, we got two full services today. Did y'all have problems getting in the parking lot? I told everybody, told everybody in the first service, I said, y'all, get out of here. My favorite group's coming. <laughs> I tell them that. Anyway, well, we're glad you're here. My name is Braden. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, I just want to welcome all of our first-time guests. Can you give all of our first-time guests a round of applause? Good to have you. In case you missed last week, I explained kind of what this is all about. I had shoulder surgery a couple of weeks ago, and uh, last week was my first time back preaching, so I've got to wear this thing. Uh, Well, they tell me I have to wear this thing for about six weeks. How long I will wear that is yet to be determined, so... Uh, I, told, I told the first group, I said, I was feeling so good this morning, I was like, you know what, I'm just not going to wear it while I preach, I'll just keep my hand in my pocket. Then I knew some tattletales would take pictures and send it to Leanne but get me in trouble, so I didn't I didn't do that. But uh, Leanne's out of town with our two oldest uh, in a volleyball tournament. We were undefeated yesterday. I was in Lubbock there. I drove back late last night to be here. We were undefeated yesterday, so we're in the gold bracket. We've won our first and second game, so pray for us at 12 o'clock. Where are we at? right now, we're getting ready to start third game. So hopefully we'll win. So anyway, and I can tell y'all don't care. Um, <laughs> I love y'all too. Uh, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 11 and we'll jump right into it. Well, the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of talking about this idea of walking with Jesus. What does it actually mean to walk with the Lord? It's kind of a cliche phrase if you let it stay a cliche phrase. Uh, but the idea is kind of try, take that out of the abstract realm and, and really talk about what does it mean to walk with Jesus. I, had a, I felt like I had a bit of a Uh, I'll call it a day vision, if you will, where I was having a a conversation with Leanne about some certain things. And all of a sudden, the Lord just kind of downloaded some things to me about what it means to walk with Him and actually have peace in your soul as you walk with Him. And a lot of it is defined in this scripture, Matthew chapter 11. I don't typically read from the message translation, but years and years ago, this phrase, a pastor I was listening to read this passage of scripture. This phrase jumped off the uh, off the pages to me it's been something that's been a big part of my life the last several years and so that's kind of what I'm reading about Matthew chapter 11 starting in verse 25 says abruptly Jesus broke into prayer thank you father lord of heaven and earth you've concealed your ways from sophisticates and know-it-alls but spelled them out clearly to ordinary people yes father that's the way you like to work Jesus resumed talking to the people but now more tenderly and he said the father's given me all these things to do and say this is a unique father and son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son like the father, nor the father like the son. And so he, he begins to explain this relationship between the father and the son, Jesus and the father, the father and the son. The beautiful thing about that is he's not just telling you what he has, he's telling you what you have access to as well. Jesus didn't die on the cross to redeem servants. He, can't, he died on the cross to redeem sons and daughters. You've got to understand that more than anything. If you're going to ever get all that God has for you, you can't stay in the seat of a servant. You must graduate to the seat of a son and a daughter. You're seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That's where We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's the way he sees us. He sees us, uh, he sees us in the same place that his son is, and he, we are sons and daughters, so that's really cool. And he goes on, he says, but I'm not keeping this to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone who's willing to listen. In other words, here's how you develop that intimate relationship with your father that I have. Starts off by saying, are you tired, worn out, burn out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, and watch how I do it. Learn, this is that phrase I love, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Uh, the, the New Living Translation, it says, that, it says it this way in these last two verses. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. So the idea is that why it's important to walk with Jesus is because when we walk with Jesus, that's how we stay in the rest that He's called us to live in, living in. A position of rest. And we talked about this last week, and it's important that you know rest does not equal no work. Rest does not equal or is not equal to no work. One of the things that you do to enter into the rest is you get to work with him. He says, If are you heavy? Okay, you want to take a real rest? Great. Take my yoke upon you. My uncle would say it this way: get your work clothes on. We're going to work. Take my yoke upon you. And so there's this idea, and you have to understand this, that for you to enter into the rest that God, God's called you to enter into, you have to learn to get active and be committed to being active in the advancement of the kingdom of God. You must move beyond your, just your identity in Christ into your calling in Christ. God, the grace of God just didn't save you from some things. It saved you unto some things. And I'll just say it it this way. I didn't say it this way last week, but I'll say it this this week this way. Spiritual inactivity will actually put a strain on your soul. Spiritual inactivity will actually put a strain on your soul. There's this concept all throughout Scripture. Jesus told the disciples this. He said, it's better for me to leave... Because if I don't leave, the Father won't send the Comforter. He won't send the person of the Holy Spirit, the other, the other member of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so there's this idea that what you and I have access today is we have access to Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And there's this, there's this, there's this concept all throughout Scripture that as sons and daughters, as servants even, but as sons and daughters, we are to be led by the Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? We're supposed to be led by the Spirit. Well, just that language alone, if we're to be led by someone, that, that insinuates there's some movement, there's something going on, and someone's leading. So you have to embrace this idea that if we're, if we're going to do what God's called us to do and even just live the life he's called us to live, we have to be led by the Holy Spirit. There's got to be some inactivity, and we have to be working with him and walking with him, listening to him, going where he tells us to go, not going where he tells us not to go. If we refuse to involve ourselves in, a rela- in our relationship with the Holy Spirit and go where he is going, it will put a stress on you that will be very hard to define. You can, be, you can be sitting on a, a beach in Hawaii, as hard as it may be to understand this, and have zero rest in your souls. Because that beach in Hawaii is this escape that you're just you're, you're, you're trying different things to try to answer this, this burden that's on the inside. And the burden is not more rest. The burden is actually working with him. And so if you're, if you're just a believer, you won't find rest in your souls. Hear what I'm saying here. If you're just a believer, do you understand this? My job as your pastor is not to convince you to be a believer. My job is to help you be a follower. You can can believe and sit still. You cannot follow and sit still. My heart's desire is that you get activated into what God's called you to, be, to, to, to do and, and the things God's called you to, to find who you are in Christ. Here's why it's so important that you find first. If you don't find who you are in Christ and hide yourself in Christ, then all of your doing will be for the wrong reason. You'll be doing to get God's approval instead of doing from God's approval. But at the end of the day, if you choose to live a life of sitting still, you'll never find peace in your soul. There will be something nagging you on the inside. You'll never, ever get there. So you have to embrace this. If you want all that God has for you, if you want the peace that God has for you, make that decision in your mind today. Sign up. Check the box. Say, I'm in for my assignment. I don't want to be a believer anymore, just a believer. I want to be a follower. I'm signing up to move. I'm signing up to get into motion. We talked about this idea that there's four places you can find yourself with God. You can find yourself with him right where you're supposed to be. We talked about finding yourself behind him. We talked about being to the right or to the left or even in front of him. Today, I want to really focus on this idea of what does it look like when you're walking just to the right or just to the left of Jesus. I said it, I said it different ways, I think, different times. I said walking beside, with Jesus beside you, and I think that sounds too good. It's like Jesus is beside me. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where he's walking here, and you're just to the right of center, or you're just to the left of center. When you talk when you talk about this, it's this idea that you're you're you've got a relationship with Jesus. You're walking, there's activity, there's movement, but you're not right smack dab in the middle of what he's called you to do. You're not right where he's, you're supposed to be. You're not what I call you're not what I'd call that sweet spot. You're just a few degrees this way, a few degrees that way. You're you're moving, and Jesus is in your peripheral vision. You're you're moving but you may be moving in the wrong direction. Have you ever, um, have you ever put together one of those um, entertainment centers or desks from Walmart? <laughs> These things are fascinating. Uh, first of all, I'm extremely impressed with the engineers behind this thing because it's like how they've come up to make a desk that actually works is, and put it in a box the size of a lunchbox is incredible to me. But, so you open this box... And you get all these parts out, you got these instructions, and the instructions usually, I, I'll be honest with you if, you, if you will follow the instructions, pay close attention to every detail, it works every time. It's actually quite fascinating. But if you're like me, the, you'll come across a step and you'll look at this, it'll be like early in the process, you'll look at it, and it will seem so self explanatory, you won't really read all the details, you won't read the fine print. You're, it's like, your manliness takes over, and you're like, well, clearly I know what I'm doing here, and clearly that goes there. So you do it. Then you get to about step, because these things have like 4,000 steps, and then you get, you know, several hundred steps into this process, and you're trying to put G4 where G4 goes, but there's no spot for G4, (laughs) And all of a sudden, it just dawns on you that G4 would have a place to go if you would have read step number two. (laughs) And so you're sitting there asking yourself the question. You're like, okay, clearly, this ain't looking exactly like it's supposed to look. But then these weird thoughts start going through your mind. but, But if I just hammer this side hard enough... Or if maybe I choose to put it over in that corner where I can slide it against the wall and you won't see that this is the unpainted side of the panel. (laughs) And you kind of start rationalizing in your head. It's like, I don't want to have to go undo all those things that I did because the mistake was way further back. All the rest of it's going good, but the mistake was way, way farther back. But at the end, the product's going to be pretty close to right. I mean, it's not a bullseye. It's just a couple degrees to the right or a couple degrees to the left. It's so crazy, but I genuinely believe this, that many Christians, even Jesus followers, they go through that a similar process to this in their head when it comes to following Jesus. Somewhere along the line, they got, they got, they got a little distracted. They got off a little bit, but their life's not that bad. It's not maybe... And they're aware of it. Like, every now and then, when they, when they get honest with themselves, they're like, yeah, that don't look like the picture set it's supposed to look like. I know I've got this little thing in my life, and I know I've got this thing, and, and I'm not like way behind, and Jesus is walking, and I'm just refusing. No, I've, I've got some good things. And, and the, the hard thing to do is convince people to do the hard work of undoing anything that maybe happened a, a hundred steps back here to get back in line so that you're not kind of beside Jesus on your journey, you are actually with Jesus on your journey. It'd be kind of like if I gave you some uh, instructions to go from here to my house, but I was not gonna use um, you know, north, south, east, west, mile markers, mileage, exit signs, and I said, you know, you leave the parking lot and you make a right and go down three streets and then make another right and then go down four streets and make a left You know, woman directions, like. (laughs) Uh, Just kidding. You could get 90% of the instructions right, but if somewhere along the way you took the third street instead of the fourth street, you're not going to end up where you need to get. And sometimes it's worth the backtracking going, okay, I... And, and, I would, and I just ask yourself this question. I mean, it's one thing to put together a Walmart entertainment center and have to slide it into a corner so no one sees the unpainted panel, and you're just like, hey, we're good. I don't want that for my life with Christ. It might be good enough for a Walmart entertainment center, but for me, it's not good enough. I, I want more out of my relationship with God. I want more about the, out of the call of God in my life. Let me put it another way. He deserves more than that. I don't think we talk about, it's not about earning or anything like that, but I'll just say it plain. He deserves more than 90% of our life. He deserves that. And so I think there's times when we got, okay, am I willing to do the hard work? And so I've gotten off over here a little bit. I need to maybe back up and work on some things so that I'm right where I'm supposed to be. I don't want to be two degrees off. I don't want to be a half a degree off of walking with him. I want to be right where I'm supposed to be. I had, I had this idea. There's not really a smooth transition, so we're just going to kind of jump into it. I had this thing in my head where there were three Ds uh, that I wanted to talk about when it comes to being just to the right or just to the left. I don't have time to do three, but I'm, I'm going to do two. Last service, I should have only done one, but uh, we're going to actually do two. Two Ds, I call them the two Ds that, that, that can dictate us being just to the right or just to the left. They are distraction and discipline. Distraction and discipline. Distraction, uh, and, and let me just say, each one of these, they'll, they can, d- distractions and discipline or lack thereof can, can get us off that one or two degrees. Distraction, I, I wrote this down. This is where something that has a more immediate and predictable return gets our attention and our focus. It's when we give something that has a more predictable and immediate return, and then we start giving that our attention, because after all, and and I said this, I feel like the Lord shared this with me this morning just when I was praying over the service. We gotta understand about the life God's called us to live when we're walking with him. It's a life of letting go of control. That's actually what faith is. Faith is saying, I don't have to be in control I have more faith in you being in control than me being in control. So if you say something and I think otherwise because I I don't trust my control as much as I trust your control, I'm going to do the thing that doesn't even make sense to me by faith because I, even though it's going to be a little scary and a little crazy, I actually have more trust with you with my life than I do with me with my life. But sometimes in the things of the kingdom, the kingdom works through processes. It's not an immediate gratification. In fact, I, I think the Lord did this on purpose. There's almost nothing I can find in Scripture that's immediate gratification. <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, I, I tithed one time. You're not going to believe this. I tithed one time, and as I was dropping the tithe into the bucket for the first time, someone walked up behind me and said, the Lord told me to buy you a new house. I have not heard that story. I, I have not heard that story. It's, it's almost like there's just, it's, there's not this instant gratification, but sometimes distractions will look over here. We're, we're on this process with the kingdom. It's requiring us to change. It's requ- requiring us to grow. It's requiring us to adapt. But and if we're all honest, sometimes doing that, it just wears on you a little bit. Can we be honest? Growing up ain't easy. Facing some things that you need to face, it's not easy. Well, sometimes you're in the middle of it, although that's right where Jesus is at. He wants you to grow up. He he wants you to work through some things, and he knows it's not easy, but that's where he's at. You look over here to the right, and something that's easier, that you can control, and that will produce immediate satisfaction, you go, you know what? I'm taking the day off. Jesus, you stay right here. I'll be back in 24 hours. (laughs) And so we just... We, we, we get distracted. And I wrote some things down, different things that, that cause some of these distractions, this, this, this thing that gets our attention, this fo- our focus that's got a little bit more of a, an immediate and controllable outcome. One of those things is hobbies. Hobbies, things that are just fun. Guys tend to have this problem more than gr- uh, girls do, I think, men have this more than women. I, I, men are more hobbies, uh, hobby-driven, but it's, it's interesting, I, wa- I watch this with a lot of men. When, when things get tough, they want to escape to this hobby. Now, you can escape to this hobby if it's golf, if it's hunting, if it's whatever it is, working on your car in the garage, whatever. You, you've got this hobby, and I get it. When you, when you go to this thing, you know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, you can kind of forget about what's going over here in Presserville. You kind of get to unplug, and you kind of get to focus on... There's a there's a marriage counselor, guy's guy named Mark Gunger. He says that uh, he's describing men and women's brains, and he said men have their brains as a bunch of little boxes, and a woman's brain is this giant ball of wire. And men, they have all these different boxes, and when it's time to talk about that thing, they open that box, and they say, okay, we can talk about what's in this box, but nothing else, because I can only open one box at a time. <laughs> and then he talks about our favorite box in the world. It's called the nothing box. We love the nothing box. When we get home from work, we open that box, and we live in that box. <laughs> and your wife says, honey, what are you thinking about? Nothing. <laughs> and because, and because her, her brain's this giant ball of wire where everything's connected and she wants to talk about all the things at the same time, she can't wrap her head around the fact that someone could actually be thinking about nothing. <laughs> Wives, let me help you. Yes, we can. (laughs) Pretty good at it, too. But we get over here in in, in pressure where the Lord's talking to us about our integrity. He's talking to us about how we talk to our wives. He's talking to us about different things concerning the call of God for our lives. And it's just requiring, it's stretching. And he's stretching us more than we even like to be stretched. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, I could go to my nothing box. (laughs) And we slide over here to this hobby that lets us go into this nothing box. And all of a sudden, we get a sense of satisfaction. It's like, whew, I needed that. The problem is, is we we get over there, and it's real easy to look back over there and go, let's stay two days. I think I can handle the nothing box for two days. And two days turns into seven days. Turns into a month. Turns into a year. And all of a sudden, we keep putting the Band-Aid of the hobby that keeps us where there's no pressure. We think there's no pressure. It's easy. And we, we don't go back over here where Jesus is at saying, hey, yeah, but you actually, if you'll work on some of these issues in your soul, you can have that same feeling, but you won't have to be in your garage without your wife, without your family, with no job, with no prayer. You can actually find peace walking with me, working with me. This is a mirage of peace. This is a mirage. It's not real. It's momentary. It'd be like if I told you, it's like, hey, for one week, we're eating nothing but Bluebell ice cream. And Somebody said hallelujah. I said, you've got to like Bluebell ice cream. And if you're from Texas and you don't think Bluebell ice cream is the best, you're crazy. If you're not from Texas and you don't think it's the best, you're clearly not from Texas. And, <laughs> but it's like day one, you're just like crushing ice cream, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and you're like, This is the greatest thing ever. Until day three, and you're like, man, this is not as good as it was Monday. It's like, it's good, but for some reason it ain't got that same thing. And then day seven, it's like, you're sick. You're literally physically sick. (laughs) Like, get that bluebell out of my face. (laughs) Why? You know, why? Because bluebell's not the meal, it's supposed to be a dessert. It's supposed to be an additive. But if you take something that's supposed to be an additive and you make it the main course, you take something that's an additive and you make it the fuel, you see what happens is all of a sudden we get over here and all of a sudden the hobby becomes the fuel that keeps us going. The problem is it's not fuel. It's supposed to be an additive. The fuel are the things of God. Hobbies are supposed to be the additive. And when we get things right, I'll just tell you this, this is what will happen, because I'm not against hobbies, and I'll talk more about that in a minute. When we get things right, the Lord will add that hobby back in the appropriate amount at the appropriate time, and it will do more than, it, it will do more than you ever thought one day of that hobby could do, in its right portion, at the right time. Hobbies can become a big distraction when all of a sudden, you, you, I don't know if you've ever been skiing, snow skiing, I've only been a couple times, and I'm terrible at it, but this is what they, this is what they say. Don't look at the trees. They're there. Just don't look. Because <laughs> if you look, you're heading for the trees. It's a principle. We gravitate towards what we look at. And all of a sudden, it's when those hobbies get too much of a place in our lives, we start looking at Next thing you know, that's, that's really become our focus. Now we're, now we're looking unto hobbies, instead of looking unto Jesus. And it's not real. And in the, in one day of the hobby will require seven days of the hobby, will require 365 days a year of this hobby to keep that Band-Aid on this thing in your soul that's looking for rest, that's looking for peace, that back over here in this process that God was trying to work through, you can produce 365 days of peace. Hobbies can get you off track. Another thing, money can get you off track, pursuit of money pursuit of money takes the place of pursuit of God. Why? Because the belief that more money will actually relieve the pressures in your life. I don't talk a lot about it, but it's, it's, it's almost cliche, but it, it needs to be said. More money, more problems. Is that a rapper? Where'd I get that? Huh? Biggie! <laughs> such an idiot. <laughs> Mo' money, contrary to the great philosopher Biggie Smalls, um, it doesn't make your problems go away. We, we think it does. We think, you know what, if it, this pressure that I'm feeling over here, if I just had more money, this financial pressure that I'm under, if I just had more money, this rest, this no rest in my soul. It's because I don't have money, and if I had more money, that pressure would go away. And I propose to you the, the, the real root of the issue with your money is an issue in your soul. Where if we had fixed the issue in your soul, the money problem would fix itself, and you wouldn't need more money. <laughs> and the beautiful thing is the moment you didn't need more money, God would give you more money because you wouldn't take it and use it to cover something, to feel something that he's been saying, that's my spot. <laughs> that's my spot. It's, exact, it's backwards, but there's this thing where we can get distracted. It's like, oh, if I, if I take this job, I know it's a lot more hours, or if I add a whole nother job, if I do this, and I'm not, I'm not trying to minimize the pressure that's on, especially American people these days, we've we've made it we've made it seem like our culture is such now that it's child abuse if your kid doesn't have the new iPhone. Come on, it's like you you're, you're not getting an iPhone, you're not getting a phone till you're 16. Oh my God, is that legal? Can you can they do can they do that? Can, we do that? And so now there's all this pressure on you to get this iPhone because God, you know what the CPS called. Get written up for not getting an iPhone for a kid. I, I'm not minimizing. I, I get that there's real pressure out there. And as, as, as loving parents, we want to give our kids things we didn't have and we want them to have the best. I, I get all of those things. But you just got to be careful that all of a sudden that pressure doesn't distract you and all of a sudden you start pursuing money instead of pursuing the kingdom. Start, pursue, start pursuing the, the provision instead of the prince. It's real easy to get over there just a, a couple degrees. I'll kind of skim through some of these and I'll tell you another thing uh, that can be distractions is this pursuit of a, of a title or a status Sometimes we can be in in pursuit of this title, of this status, that we start pursuing that thing more than we're pursuing him. And it doesn't, let let me explain what I'm talking about here. For some, I've watched this happen with, with women, with moms. That pursuit can actually be the title of best mom. Best mom. If you've ever had to go to one of your kids, I'm sorry, if you've ever gotten to go to one of your kids, uh, school Valentine parties or school parties. One you know the, those. Are, I've got like a love hate relationship with those. It's like you got you go there and like you see the kid over there whose parents are out there working just to make sure he's got clothes to go to school in. He feels terrible because the other parents are. It's just a, it's a debacle. I'm, just don't get me going there. But then you go and then there's this one mom. It's like it's it's. You can get a little note, hey, bring enough goodies for everyone in the class. And you're like, okay, so you go and you, if you're a normal human being, you go and you buy an appropriate amount of candy, knowing they're gonna get the same thing from all the other parents. And then there's that one mom, and she needs like a flatbed trailer, because she built a float to deliver the handmade cupcakes from a recipe she got off of Pinterest that's organic, gluten-free, and got a sparkler on top. And you're like, what are you doing with your life? Like, where did you get these cupcakes, you know? And you and, and here's what it is, and not all the time. Just let me be a smart aleck for just a little bit. But it's like, I want everyone to know I'm the Best mom. Almost fell in the pit for a second there. You should not do that with one arm. <laughs> but it's it's they they they've been distracted because at home this is this is this actually really happens. They don't get the affirmation from their husband. Their kids don't still don't know how to appreciate them. They have no community pouring into them and they're starving for significance. They're starving for worth. And the only thing that's within their control that they can control, that they can get someone to go, oh, wow, you're amazing, is with a float full of cupcakes. That really happens. And all of a sudden, if so- if someone brought two floats with more cupcakes, now all of a sudden it's com- it's like, there's no rest in the soul. Or, or, or here's another one. I, this real, this this real life, folks. I'm telling you, this real. It's epidemic. It's the mom that their kid is going to be the best dressed kid at school. Kids, they spill something on their pants or their shoes or something, and it's like, no, no, we cannot wear those to school the next day. There's a spot on those jeans. This is real life. Because you're not going to be the mom that sends the kid to school with the spot on his pants or the spot on his shoes because you're wrapped up in being mom of the year. It's just a distraction. You're just looking for significance. You're just looking for, you're looking for something that tells you you're important. I can hear the air conditioner in here, it's so quiet. Different titles, uh, manager. I'll, as soon as I can be a manager, man, I, I want my, I want someone to know I'm somebody, so you go after this position. Next thing you know, you're more after that position of manager, you'll do anything it takes to be that manager. You'll do anything it takes to be a business owner. You're tired of working for somebody else, you wanna be able to tell all your friends, tell your family, no, I don't work for anybody, I have my own business, I work, I work for my own business. So next thing you know, all your pursuit. What if the Lord wants you to work for somebody else for 20 years? Well, no, that could not be true. <laughs> yeah. Because after all, I wouldn't feel nearly as important if I worked for somebody else and served another man's vision faithfully. College graduate, that's a big one. Oh, I, I've got to get college graduate behind my name. If I don't get college graduate behind my name, and, and all of a sudden we're moving heaven and earth, and ignoring God and ignoring the Holy Spirit, when He's saying, Hey, I'm actually called you to ministry. Why don't you go to why don't you go over here to Bible school? Why don't you go over here to this or something maybe? Instead of going over here, oh no, my parents, my dad had a degree, my mom had a degree, my family, that's what we do. We go get our degrees. And all of a sudden you're distracted chasing a degree, which is really the approval of mom and dad and making sure that nobody else don't mess up the the (laughs) will. Can I just say this? This is part of every Christian's journey. I don't care what you're called to. I don't care where you're at in your journey right now. Every single one of us has got to arrive at this place at some point in our life. It's good enough just being called son and daughter. It's good enough. All those things I talk about, money, titles, all all those different things, none of those are wrong. None of those are wrong if they are a part of your life. They're wrong, all of them are wrong, however, if they are the focus of your life. All of them are wrong you gotta you gotta land it if all i ever am is son that's enough if all i ever am is daughter that's enough and what's amazing is that the more we get there the more those other things start to come he gives back the hobby he gives back more money he gives back title because you know why that title has influence and now because you don't need the title to help you and you're going to use the title to help him he'll give you the title he'll give you the significance i'll, I'll breeze through this last one because like i said i want to talk about two d's distraction number one number two discipline rick told me this he said he was listening to somebody the other day and i thought this fit perfect right here he told me this between services after he heard the first uh service discipline i wrote this it's I wrote, the, I wrote, you have to embrace the idea and the fact that not everything that's good for you will be a desire of your heart. Not everything that's good for you will be a desire of your heart. Rick said it this way. choosing what you Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Choosing what you want most over what you want now. You gotta understand, there are biblical disciplines that you will have zero desire to do at first. Tithing's one. You don't wake up with no Bible knowledge or no nothing, no God, and I'll wake up one day and go, "You know what? I really wish I had 10 percent less money." I know what I'll do. I'll just give 10 percent away. It doesn't happen that way. We're not we're not made that way. Tithing is a, is a thing where you go, "Okay, I don't understand how this works," but but the Bible says when if a man doesn't tithe or a person doesn't tithe. He's literally robbing God. I don't want that. (laughs) He also says, tithe and see what happens. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. Then it's the only time in scripture he says, test me. Test me. So if that's what the Bible says to do, not because I desire to get rid of 10% of my money, but because I desire not to be in control of my own life, because I desire to be obedient, I'm going to discipline myself to do it. It'd be no different. You wouldn't even think of not having a vehicle. In your head, you wouldn't think of not, most of us in this room are blessed enough to have a vehicle. You wouldn't even think of not having a vehicle. You'll do whatever it takes to make sure you have a vehicle because it is a, in your head, it is a necessity of life. You can wiggle things around and move things around, if you want to bad enough. People say, "Oh, I can't afford a tithe." Well, maybe not afford a tithe and have an iPhone 10. Maybe not afford to tithe and have that car you drive. Maybe not afford to, drive, to, to tithe and have that same house you're. You know, you're. I I agree with you. The question is, is do you say, you know, I. This is a discipline. This is going to take discipline. This is going to take some doing, whether I feel like it or not. And here's what happens. When we, uh, when, we, when we get involved with the discipline and we walk this thing out, all of a sudden fruit comes because of the discipline. Then all of a sudden I'm not doing it because I'm supposed to anymore. I'm now doing it because I see some fruit. I'm like, wait a minute. This, this is actually working. <laughs> Let's try this some more. And it will turn into a desire of your heart. But I'm just telling you, most things in scripture, they don't start off as a desire of your heart. Forgiveness. Yeah, right. No, that's not a desire of your heart to forgive. It takes discipline. It takes discipline when you and your wife get in this huge fight and, and all of a sudden you're like, okay, i f I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes, I'm I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Yes. And it's usually in that tone, you know. So we're, we're forgiven, right? Until you do that thing again. It takes discipline not to bring up the last thing I said you were forgiven for. Right? What would be the easiest thing to do? Oh, let me guess, you're sorry again? <laughs> <laughs> we, I don't have those fights at home. I mean, it's just, I don't have that. That's y'all's problem. No, no, my problem. They take discipline, but forgiveness is—it's disciplining, saying, "I will not bring that up again. I will not bring that up again. I will not hold you accountable for that again. In fact, I won't even—I don't even have the right. I'm, I, this is what it does. I'm going to discipline myself to not even cop an attitude, because sometimes we—we we don't bring it back up, back up, but body language is screaming. You're marching around the house, honey. What's what's the deal? Nothing. I'm not bringing it up again. You're forgiven. Uh, this is so much fun. Well, here's my point. Sometimes disciplines are the they're the silent preparation for the attacks of the enemy that knock us to the left or to the right of Jesus. That's what the enemy's attacking us for. He's trying to get us, knock us off a degree and knock us off a degree. And disciplines are the things that are silently strengthening you, silently getting you ready before the attack happens. You know the story of Daniel in the lion's Then I love this. I love this story. And I'm just gonna read this and we're done. Daniel chapter six. I'm gonna paraphrase I'm going to paraphrase the first few just for the sake of time. Uh, I'm probably going to pick up around verse 9 when I get there. Daniel, he, he's, he's, he's serving the king. He's serving King Darius. Darius is pleased with him. Daniel's a foreigner, but he's just been such an amazing guy. He did everything he did with excellence. And he, you literally could find, the Bible says, they said you could find no fault with this guy. So he had guys wanting to sabotage him and get him in trouble with the king, but saying like they couldn't even find a reason because he was faithful. He always did what he said he was gonna do. He did everything he said. He, was, he did everything he did in excellence. He's just an amazing guy. And they said, if we're gonna trip him up, we're actually going to have to use his own God against him. We're gonna have to use something about God actually against him. We're gonna have to use, and they had watched his life. They knew that Daniel prayed every day, three times a day. So they convinced the king to make up this this decree that, hey, no one will pray to anyone other than you, Darius, you amazing man looking amazing in your stretchy pants. It's like they just are puffing him up. And they said, you know, we're going to sign a decree that no one can, can, can praise anybody but you for 30 days. So basically, all Daniel has to do not to get thrown into a lion's den is not pray for 30 days. Now be honest, how easy is it for you to not pray 30 days? You can just, isn't it crazy how you can just look up one day like, oh, I did it. <laughs> Somehow I pulled it off. I didn't pray for 30 days. It's easy. See, it was a discipline in his life. He didn't miss praying. He prayed three times a day. Verse nine, therefore King Darius signed the written decree. Now when Daniel knew that the written Decree had been signed. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem. In other words, I'm not hiding this. I'm not going to change what I do. I'm going to do the same thing I've always done. He knelt down on his knees three times that day. He prayed and he gave thanks before his God. Check out this phrase. As was his custom since the early days. Another translation said it this way. Just as he's always done just as he's always done and the lord just dropped this kind of in my heart it's like you want to know what it takes to be the kind of person that even facing death the lions then you want to know what it takes to be the kind of person to be able to stand in that kind of adversity to withstand that kind of attack it's the things you've been doing since the early days it's not something that you do right in that moment. It's not like, okay, did, did Daniel pray some specific prayer? What did he pray? It wasn't the specific prayer he prayed that day. It's the fact that he had disciplines in his life since the early days. Things he had always done that was silently strengthening him in his faith in his God. Building him up to the place where it's like, oh, lines then, whatever. I'm praying. I'm not bowing. I'm not not giving in to this pressure. See, sometimes it's the hard, and I know this isn't a fun message to hear. I I get that. Sometimes it's the disciplines of tithing, the disciplines of just coming to church, getting in the word, listening to the word. They're little things. They're so small. But isn't it funny how sometimes those small things just seem so hard to stay consistent in? But it's it's those disciplines that are strengthening us when we don't even realize it. and all of a sudden you look up one day and you face an attack that was designed to get you knocked to the left or to the right of walking with Jesus and for some reason this time it just didn't seem to face you and you can't put your finger on one thing you did or that one time you did that one thing it's, it's the disciplines that have been strengthening you were to the point you didn't even realize how strong you really were again what's the goal I don't want to be I don't be one degree off I don't want to be five, I, I want to be right in the middle of where God has me I want to be walking with him step and step. I don't, want to miss, I, don't want to, I don't want to miss one thing he has for me. I don't want to live with no rest and no peace in my soul. Amen. If you would stand to your feet, we'll close right there. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you can stay up to date. Again, we are so glad you joined us. If you're in the Midland Odessa area, we invite you to come be our guest at one of our services. Have a great day, and we hope to see you soon.